Aloha. Hi, Rebecca, and also Ruby's tail. Yes, you can't see her, but she's drooling on me. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm jealous. Yep. yep. How are you all alone in your room? Well, lonely. Mm. I'm lonely. I don't have Ruby with me, and that makes me jealous and sad. Yeah. Do you want to tell everybody that she was probably just spending the last two hours with you? She actually was with okay. me just very recently. Yeah. So, so brag, brag, <laughs> brag. I know. And, and I'm sorry for everyone else that you don't have a Ruby in your lap right now. I know. For those of you who don't know, Ruby is our cat. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. You got to make yeah. sure that's clear. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the Schmodcast. It's a podcast that's just two platonic life partners trying to make things right with their elders. Yes. Such a good strap line. Thank you. Yeah, because this week, the episode number 22 is called We Are the World. And this is where Rebecca and I try to make our aunts and uncles comfortable with our hot takes on Bob Dylan in particular in his role in the We Are the World video from 1985. Mm-hmm. Yep. I can't wait to get to this hot top, but we have a lot of other things we have to talk about as well. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, which, I mean, y- your next one is actually, uh, I think it's something you're supposed to explain to me, but I'm just like really excited to share all my Bob Dylan stuff. Why don't you? Ex- yeah. Yeah. Well, no. Oh, you want me to do the intro? Well, first. I just like, yeah, I was saying I did like the opposite of a segue, but I was like trying to like, oh. <laughs> I was trying to say like, that's our hot top, but we're going to do some connects and corrects. But then I, yeah, yeah, yeah then yeah, I got yeah, distracted yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. I remembered something I wanted to tell you that I just learned about Bob Dylan, but that's, that's not this time oh. right now. It's later. It's later. You sound like me right now. You sound really scattered. Wow. Is that, was that a composite? Because it started like, I sound like you, which usually you sound cool. And then you ended with like a negative thing. So that's a composite. It's like a compliment and an insult together. Uh, But it sounds like I assaulted you with compliments. That could happen too. If the, if the compliments are too aggressive, you can get, yes, I like that. Yeah. It's a composite. Oh, cause then you're spelling it A-U-L-T, composite. Do you think people who are listening... They've already stopped listening. It? They turned the whole thing off. <laughs> Do you think if anyone is still listening, they realize that we haven't done this for a couple weeks and... and um, That's why we're rusty. We just like have a, a lot to catch up on, including <laughs> how to have a conversation. It's like, like we haven't just spent <laughs> the last several days talking to each other. Yeah, I we're know, a little rusty. Stop. We'll get better though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, okay, so our hot top today is all about We Are the World, but we do first have an intro and some connects and corrects. Our intro is to discuss what's a glimmer. Mm. All right, so everybody knows what a trigger is. It's when something happens that immediately gives you like a, a negative emotion or feeling, something that, that throws you off balance in a negative way. Mm-hmm. The antithesis of a trigger is a glimmer. Mm. A glimmer is something that sparks joy, peace, or safety and is soothing to the nervous system. I think the nervous system is really key on this. A trigger means Mm. something that triggered your nervous system in a negative way. A glimmer is something that soothes your nervous system in a positive way. So Rebecca, can you think of something from these past two weeks that was a glimmer for you? Yeah. I mean, this might suggests that I have, that I'm, I'm also an elder, but, um, just 
<laughs> sitting on our lanai and watching these like cardinals come to, to eat out of our bird feeder. Mm. It was like not a thing that I was necessarily expecting. It just reminded me like how good things are. And I've been having like a pretty trying work at week or week at work. What is wrong with me? I've been having a hard I, you've time. You've been having a trying work at week. So uh, that's, that's what's, what's happening. Yeah. And so, um, so that was nice to just be like, Oh, the sun came out and I got to see some pretty birds and, it was very soothing. I've had some other mm. great things happen, but they have been more like exciting, not soothing to my nervous system. Mm-hmm. So probably not glimmers. Yeah. What about you? Um, well, I went to this uh, ultimate Frisbee tournament last weekend and it involved um, a lot of outdoor time, mm-hmm. a lot of body glitter, mm-hmm. and a lot of dancing. Like both sort of at times when that was anticipated and encouraged and at times when it just happened. (laughs) And I think dancing is a real glimmer for me, like just hearing a song that you feel like moving to and being in a space where like you can move to that and feel not feel too self-conscious. Yeah. That's very soothing to my nervous system. If there's glitter involved, then is it a shimmer glimmer? (gasps) It's a shimmer glimmer, Mm -hmm. a glitzy glimmer. Mm -hmm. That's good. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) All right. Let's do some connects and corrects, shall we? Please. Okay. Our first one comes from my cousin Rita, who sent me a cool New York Times article called The Unsung Joy of Falling in Big, Deep, Platonic Love. Mm. And she sent this after our last episode where um, one of our hot tops was about platonic love and what makes it different than romantic love. And I really like this one particular quote from the article. It says, we tend to put romantic love above other forms of deep connections, but there's magic in the moment you realize you found a friend like no other. That's really sweet. Yeah. Thanks, cousin Rita. Yeah, thank you. I'm going to have to read that article now. Yeah. Oh, I should have forwarded it to you. That's okay. I don't want to brag, but I have a subscription to New York Times, so. We share the subscription to the New York read it Times. Myself. That's like fully not a brag since it's our mutual subscription to the New York Times. It's a brag to that one person that held on this far into the episode and then they just clicked. That was the click of them hanging up. Now they're done. Now they're not listening Now it's anymore. just us. Great. So now we can get to... I can't handle listening to you two fight. It's vicious. <laughs> uh, well, I have a review from my, my friend and colleague, Ian, who... Um, became famous in our household because he was one of our earliest and most ardent fans of a little video series that Rachel put on called Cat TV during the pandemic. And um, so anyways, he recently, we got caught up and I told him about our podcast and he messaged me immediately and said, are we worried about the similarities between our podcast, Schmodcast, <laughs> and Coffee Talk, the SNL skit? Coffee Talk. <laughs> yes. I'm not even a little bit worried. No. I'm delighted. Honestly, Ian linking that to, to us is just the biggest compliment we could ever have gotten. Coffee Talk. Coffee Talk. Yes. And then he also later uh, messaged me to say he's really psyched to hear more about Virgos, Salesforce, and Ultimate Frisbee. This podcast is awesome. Oh. Awesome, yeah, Rachel. Five stars. Awesome. Five stars. Thanks, Ian. Do you think we should should be worried that we have similar like is is being similar to Coffee Talk, is that a way of saying that we don't talk about anything of substance? I hope so. I okay. I think it's also um we're sassy. I think it means we're really sassy. Oh. Mm-hmm. 
sassy is what you took from that. They're okay. funny. SNL is kind of famously mm-hmm. funny, but sometimes they miss the mark. So yeah, I'm not sure what he thinks. Yeah. What he means. Oh man. We'll see. You know what? We'll see if he gets, that was him just listening to the first episode. Uh, so we'll see if he okay. gets this okay. far. If he gets to number 22, here's his shout out. And then he yeah. can respond and let us know what he meant by that. If he even yes, remembers. Ian, we're thinking of you, Ian. Yeah. Thank you so Thank much. You, Ian. Yeah. Cool. Well, one more little uh, connects and corrects here is that we did talk a couple episodes about, ago about going scuba diving. Yeah. And we had an amazing scuba trip. And I wondered if you might like to share, Rebecca, some of the things that we saw and heard on that scuba trip. I would love to. It was actually kind of perfect because the the last episode we covered what got us into scuba and I think I even mentioned on that one that I had I reported back to you that when I heard humpback whales singing under the water, that was how I had seen God. And that was why I thought Rachel should get into scuba diving because it's basically church. Yeah. And um, then forgot all about what time of year it was. So when we got in the water and went un- under the sea, um, we heard <laughs> humpback whales singing. And the whole, the time. whole time. And it was really exciting Clearly. because the like dive master person did like a little hand signal to say, do you hear the whales? And then I remember looking over at you, Rachel, and you just did like some sort of a uh, mime to suggest like your heart's exploding slash so excited. Um, mm-hmm. I was so happy to see you hearing the whales while I was hearing the whales. It was really magical. My eyes were like saucers looking over at you being just like, holy moly, is this really what's happening? Mm-hmm. I mean, they sounded so close, yep. but they weren't, but they also, they on our second dive of the day, they got close enough that I could feel it a little bit. Yeah, because we swam a Never saw them underwater, yeah, but felt Because we swam a little closer to the drop-off, and that was that was the first, mm-hmm. like, that. I still have that memory from like five years ago, too, mm-hmm. that like... You kind of feel it like as if you were at a club and there's like bass in your chest. There's just like a, a little bit of that yeah. feeling. Yeah. Um, yeah. Vibration would have just been an easier way to say that. I'm really on a roll today. Yeah. Um, so you're nailing other it. things we saw while the whale serenaded us were a shark, a, a white tipped reef shark, which so cute. I later Googled actually, because I was like, that is like the biggest reef shark I've ever seen. And those are, it was like five yeah, feet long. And they're usually it? littles, y'all. These are little, these are normally smaller sharks, still sharkies, but small. Well, they only get to like five feet. There's a, okay. The, there was like some report. Somebody said one time they saw one that was six feet, but like that hasn't been corroborated. So five feet is like a maximum size. So we saw, a mature, a mature white tip reef, uh, reef shark. And it was like hanging out in this cavern, which was really, mm-hmm. really cool. And I was last one through the, the cavern to see it. And then as I was coming out, I guess it had like kind of followed me out into the hallway. And then Rachel yeah. like did shark hands at me to be like, Hey, like, did you see the shark? There's a shark behind you. And then I had a brief moment of like, well, if the shark's going to bite me, but no, it's small. It's just not going to uh, do that. I was really trying to get your attention. Cause I, I wasn't sure if you had seen it in the cavern and it was like right behind you. And so I wanted to make sure. You saw it, and I think I kept being like, "Did you see the shark?" Like all of this is with gestures, y'all. No one. Yeah, can there's hear no you talking. It's but like Duh. since this is a podcast, we're verbalizing what we yeah. were mimicking. Yeah. So I used hands to say, 
shark, shark, shark. And Rebecca was like, I know. Yeah. And I was like, no, right now behind you, it's a shark. Like turn around. Right. And then you turn, you got to turn around. It was distracting though, because the shark was happening at the same time as the whale song and the same time as the Honu cleaning station, the sea turtle <sighs> mm-hmm. that was swimming above us and had like 20 bright yellow fish cleaning its shell. Yeah. So there's all these little places in the ocean and they call them cleaning stations. They being people. I don't think the fish do this. So the fish. The fish probably call it They have a fish word yeah. for it. It's in their fish language. but it, It's a different fish it word. Means, yeah. It means car wash, but like fish wash. So these there's mm-hmm. these little worker fish that hang out and then animals like sea turtles some sharks do it i found out eels do it they all queue up Mm. and the fish just jump on their back or whatever and they get the like parasites off the dead skin algae they're just having a little snack and it helps the it helps whatever animals like i'm so dirty y'all i need to get washed the fish probably call it buffet. They probably call it Honu buffet. Yeah, Honu buffet. And then the Honu calls it cleaning station. And so, yeah, spa, we saw an amazing big Hawaiian green sea turtle. And he's just floating because he's not swimming because he wants the fish to come eat his shell. Mm-hmm. So he was just kind of suspended in the water, not too far from us. And then he was very slowly floating his way towards Rachel and I remember being like, we got like 30 feet before he gets actually close to her. But I couldn't tell if you could tell he was getting closer to you because he was moving so slow. And so I was doing the same thing that you were doing. Shark, shark, do you see the shark? I was doing like, Honu's moving towards you, hand signals. But I don't even know if you saw no, me do that. I I have a record. I have like a history of Honu sneaking up on me because I'm mesmerized by something else. Mm-hmm. So it did not get that close to me this time. But um Wow. It was just, it was hard to know what to focus on because everything was so beautiful all at once. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The only thing we can do is just go back and do it again. Yeah. And then we were in such a good mood that we didn't even, we didn't mind that we completely boggled (coughs) our, (laughs) our like remaining attempts of the day. So after you go scuba diving, you can't go over a certain elevation. You have to calculate this, how long you have to wait, blah, blah, blah. We mentioned this on the last podcast. Mm-hmm. But basically, like, you can get really sick if you go too high in elevation too quickly after scuba diving. Right. And so we had calculated, um, oh, well, the, none of the routes back home on the big island are safe for us to drive because they go over that elevation. Yeah. So we're going to stay over on the other side of the island with a friend And we spent like all day chilling, waiting to go to this friend's house. And then as we were like approaching her house, she called like mayday, mayday. I just realized my house is like above the elevation y'all are allowed to go to. Yeah. And so I think our number was like 2000. We didn't want to go over 2000 until the morning just to be really safe. And just to be safe. I'm so glad she called to tell us she lived up the mountain further than we'd realized. Yeah. She was at 3000 feet. (gasps) So, and we were like at 2000 when she called us. So we were like, well, uh, what do we do now? And we had heard from our dive master in the morning that there is actually a route you can take safely. So we ended up just driving all the way home late at night after this like amazing day and spent the whole drive um, hypochondriacing symptoms mm-hmm. of decompression sickness yep. and, 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 and Googling it and asking each other if, if maybe we were getting sick. Yep. <laughs> yep. And I'm happy to report neither uh, of us got the, the bends. Um, 
But we did make a lot of hilarious jokes about what could be considered a Benz or a not Benz. We didn't. Yeah, we didn't even get in a bad mood about mm-hmm. it. It was amazing. It really helped though because it was like a four-hour drive, and I was like, "What if? What if we're in a grumpy mood?" But no, yeah. we were just doing jokes, in jokes, jokes about the bends yeah. the whole time. It was a lot of driving in the dark. We were tired. You you have this like adrenaline rush in the morning, mm-hmm. so then you're like exhausted later. But so that's our scuba diving connect and correct, and we are going to move on to our hot top. Although it kind of starts with the connect and correct because. The way we got to this hot talk, hot talk <laughs> is Uncle Tim and Aunt Nancy have both expressed their dismay at the previous comments we made about Bob Dylan not being any good in the We Are the World um, song. Now, to clarify, we did originally state this as a compliment that we wanted to go into the holidays with Bob Dylan energy, mm-hmm. which was that in the videos of this song... Mm-hmm. He looks like he does not care yeah. and is not trying. Mm-hmm. And we liked that. Yep. But then um, that that um, hurt some feelings and also led to some clarification about Bob Dylan's personality, that he's and, really more of an uh, – and, uh-huh. and also important to note that he – if you watch the whole documentary, he wasn't not having a good time. So it was a, it right. was a so little we're bit gonna of get a mis- misnomer. Yes. Yeah, yep, yep. Yes. We're going to get to that. This is just the history, which is mm-hmm, that um, mm-hmm. we learned that he's really more of like a poet than a performer. Yep. He was extremely important to that generation. Yes. Um, and so was this song, mm-hmm. We Are the World. So we found out that we we sort of offended our elders in two levels. Well, we didn't offend them. We hurt their feelings. Right. Um, <laughs> the one is that Bob, Bob Dylan's really important to them and the We Are the World song is really important to them. So- A couple notes from Uncle Tim who says, We Are the World was the biggest hit. You should not be saying anything bad about it. And who then encouraged us to watch a documentary of the making of that song. We watched it on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Um, Rebecca and I both watched this documentary. um, And we're going to use our hot top time to discuss it. But first, a couple more notes from Uncle Tim who recalls um, that there was a day around where every – Around the wor- uh, around the country, every class played that song at the same time, and he himself watched it a million and one times, um, and was very impressed actually with Bob Dylan because he had never heard the song before and was mm-hmm. like grasping it really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's let's see. We have like a decent. Um, um, we have some of Uncle Tim's words mm-hmm. to say about this documentary as well. But I think maybe first we can start by saying what – well, let's start with Uncle Tim's words. Is that okay with you, Rebecca? Yeah, of course. Okay. I'm going to read like a couple paragraphs, and if my voice gets tired, I'm going to pass it on to you. Okay? okay, and I'll follow along. Pay attention. Uh, <laughs> like always. Okay. <laughs> this is from Uncle Tim. He says, in the late winter and early spring of 1985, I was a 21-year-old college student having the absolute time of my life. I was carefree, starting to find myself, was really into popular music and pop artists in general, as college kids usually are, and had begun to tell a few people my deep, dark secret. My life had never been so good. On the world stage, Africa, Ethiopia in particular, was in the middle of a famine. Every evening, the TV news showed images of starving Ethiopian children. Of course, it was heart-wrenching. This was the first time I can remember being socially conscious. 
This is the exact time that the We Are The World album was recorded with its title song sung by every popular American musical artist of the day. As a typical college student, I could sing along with every current song on the radio and knew the names of all the pop singers of the day. So when this album came out, it was the biggest thing going. MTV was in its heydays and was playing the We Are The World video hourly. Later that spring, when nearly every radio station in the world agreed to play the song at the exact same time, one of my classmates brought a radio to class and the professor stopped lecture as the class listened with the world as the life-saving song was aired. Over to you, Rebecca. Like I said, this musical recording was a big deal. It went on for weeks and weeks, and it seemed to me at the time to be the event of the decade. We felt like we were saving the world. So now you know my background and affinity for this song. When I told you that my feelings were hurt by your Bob Dylan comment, of course it was tongue-in-cheek, but truth is there was a little twinge of, how dare she, young whippersnapper. For me, it wasn't about an affront to Bob Dylan, it was about the video. I enjoyed the trip down memory lane today as I rewatched the video and the documentary of making the video. I hope you watch it, even though it is an hour long. Get to know the details that it was an all-night session, that the artist saw the music and learned the song on the spot after the AMA American Musical Awards ceremony earlier in the evening. At the 38-minute mark begins a 10-minute portion on Bob Dylan's solo bit. I don't know if it'll prove Rachel's point or Nancy's point, but to me it's obvious that he's struggling, perhaps emotionally, but surely with self-esteem issues or maybe perfectionism. He just can't seem to get it right, even though all the famous people in the room are supporting and praising his efforts. It is very interesting, but you kind of need to see the whole video to best get the context. It was, by all accounts, an extraordinary recording session with dozens of the most famous mu- voices of music. Oh, Uncle Tim, thank you so, so, so much for taking the time to explain all that to us and to give us your perspective. And now... Rebecca and I have both watched this documentary separately, and we're going to say what we thought about it, which I'm also really excited about because this is basically um, Tig and Cheryl with a smaller audience and less funny hosts. Um, Tig Tig and Cheryl's, um, (laughs) they have a podcast where they each watch a documentary and then talk about it together. And I feel like this is our little way of getting to do that. Ha ha. I like that too. When mm-hmm. we listen to other podcasts, we like, we should just steal their format for an episode. Just steal it for one episode at a time. Yeah. I basically did a, my favorite murder episode once before too. Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah. I'm, I really liked this little homework assignment. It actually, um, I was maybe 10 or 15 minutes into this documentary before I realized, or I guess noticed, I don't think I'd ever heard that song all the way through or had never even really oh. seen the video. So I paused the documentary to watch the video because the documentary like really assumes you, you know, about this video. So I was like, let me watch this and get up to date with everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, okay. So then I watched it, heard it. Great song. And then I was like back to the documentary. I was sold in the first five seconds. It opens with Jane Fonda hosting the whole thing. I was like, yes. yes and she looks amazing. I was like, where have, where have I, I been? Her. Under a rock? I can't yeah. believe I didn't know about this yeah. video. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it was, it was really cool. And, and the documentary did a good job of, of making it like, sure, there was like a lot of chaos and it all came together in one night. But I also didn't realize that it hadn't really necessarily come together literally in one night. That Harry Belafonte had this idea to do this, and then yeah. and then he set the wheels in motion, and then they got like 
what was it, Lionel Richie and Michael Jackson were the ones who like wrote the song and recorded sort of like a sing-along track ahead of time. So they had every, like they put in all this effort so that all of these like super talented people could come together and do like one super long, serious recording session. And uh, it was fascinating and it was really cool to see all of them get together and, and just how they weaved in like 20 something different solo parts. Um, yeah. Yeah. So those are my like initial takes. I don't want to take the whole documentary from you. What were, what did you, no, no. what do you hot take well, on? I, I can't, I, I've got lots of like little interesting things, but the big picture hot take for me is, um, what was this accomplishing? Mm. Like, how did this song mm-hmm. connect to mm-hmm. the famine in Ethiopia? And I haven't done a lot of research into this, so I don't really know. I did. Um, you Oh, good. So maybe we save that for the end then yeah. and talk about that because that's the part I couldn't, I couldn't get out of my head that I was like, this is so 80s and 90s. <laughs> For like a bunch of Western people to be like, I feel so sad about Africa. Let's make a song about Africa. Mm-hmm. And the song is like all upbeat and like, we're here with you. And I'm like, yeah, but what are any of you doing? Mm-hmm. They're like, this song is going to save the starving children of Ethiopia. And I'm like, how? Right. Like, what is it that's actually happening that is going to, and I, and I, I don't want to sound like a total cynic. It's a beautiful song. It is a beautiful thing that Jane Fonda's role was really to focus on the synchrony between these artists and, and the cooperative spirit and the amiability. And that's really cool. It's really, really cool. But are we just patting ourselves on the back for something that was basically like a pop culture stunt that purports to be helping people, but was mostly about like, famous people getting to make a song together that was fun for them. Yeah. We're going to unpack that later. Cause I had the same okay. sort of thing and actually was worried. Cause I was like, what if, what if we watch this documentary and then we break our elders hearts even more by being like, now we've seen I it know. and we're still going to shit on it. So I, put a pin I in feel that. like I've gotten, I've gotten recent confirmation from them that they still love us no matter what. So oh, we can say what we want. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we 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 can and we will say what we want. But yeah, so put a pin okay. in that one. Okay. So um so for those of you who don't know, this song was recorded in um in for USA for Africa, which is like a nonprofit that was like aiming to reduce poverty and famine specifically in Ethiopia, but they always just say Africa as if it's all one place. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> all the time and materials were donated. I thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Even like the documentary crew that made this documentary was, was volunteered. Um, and all of the performers, uh, well, many of the performers were coming to this performance uh, straight from the American Music Awards. Right. So they really were taking time out of an extremely busy schedule um, at a, a, and spent an exhausting, like a grueling, you know, 12 hours working on this mm-hmm. together. Um, I was a little bit, uh, extra skeptical when f- there wasn't a single woman included in the actual production of this project until 15 minutes in or so. And even then it was only female singers. It was initiated by, male artists who had male agents who got other male artists involved and then showed up with all male sound producers. (laughs) And um, Mm -hmm. that's just a little side note as a, 
extreme militant feminist that it would have been cool if any women had been included in the actual like design of this project did, and, and final execution. Did Jane Fonda narrating help with that or no, no didn't help that? Okay. No, no. It, she was like their secretary, basically. <laughs> they were like, and then Jane Fonda will tell the story. All right. That's what she's good for. But Bette Midler was there and that made me extra happy. Did that make you happy? It made me really happy until I realized she only did the chorus bit. bit. She didn't get a solo. Now, I'm not. Yeah, I'm, but other women did. Other women I know, I know. Solos, I just like, yeah. I just really like Bette Midler. That's just like a personal. I was yeah. like pumped for her solo and then I was like, oh, she just did the chorus. That's okay. Her hair, her hair was amazing. Everyone's fashion style was amazing. It was a time capsule. I loved every single outfit choice and every single haircut. Did you, did you see Dan Aykroyd? Yeah. Did you know how and why he ended up there? (laughs) I read a little something about that, that it was basically like a flu. He was just like, he was just rolling (laughs) with people after the award show. And they were like, we're going to go do this thing with, with all, with MJ. And he was like, okay. I literally, (laughs) I made a note to myself. Who's the Dan Aykroyd looking dude at the back? (laughs) And it was Dan Aykroyd is who it was. (laughs) Yeah, oh, that was amazing. Did you? So they, oh, yeah. so they, so they leave the AMAs and they come to this recording studio. And I really liked this too. There was, um, there was a note apparently on the door that said, "Check your ego at the door." Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a really interesting thing for them to note more than once. Was that this was like they're used to being in spaces where all of them are the most famous person in the room, mm-hmm. where everything's a competition, and instead they came to this and were told literally like your ego is not invited. Mm-hmm. We're gonna we're doing this for a, a higher purpose. Yeah. 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 Um, they, they said that there was like an instant sense of belonging. There were comments about how hopefully this song will save millions of lives. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a couple Ethiopian women come speak to the group, um, mm-hmm. which was interesting. And again, I feel like it was done in a very sort of like 1980s and 90s, like Western savory sort of a way, yeah. but better than nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a quote that the crime is that the Western world, something about like the, the Western world has like grain silos full that we're not releasing to the people who are dying of hunger, which by the way, I've like learned in some of my studies later, it was really more about, um, um, like logistics, like the ability Mm -hmm. to distribute that grain that was the problem. It's not that nobody wanted to supply it elsewhere, but that could also just be us making ourselves feel better about hoarding all the food in the eighties and nineties. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how to, because when I tell you later about what USA for Africa did that kind of debunks your grain movement. Okay, cool. But, but I don't know about the grain silos. I only know about some of the grains. Yeah. Okay. Well, it was really cool to see all these artists in a group. It felt really candid, especially because I have no idea who most of them were. Mm -hmm. Um, So, like, I might know their names, but I won't recognize them, especially not in 1985. So it was neat seeing this room full of people. They're, like, like hugging each other, chatting, like, solving problems, singing things together. And I don't even know who they are, except that I'm sure they're extremely famous. Right. Um, So that was really fun to watch. Yeah. And, and I enjoyed like trying to guess who it was. Cause like it, I, a lot of them, yeah. I didn't know who they were until I heard them sing. And then I was like, oh, that's Kenny Rogers. Like, and how, oh. how young did Willie Nelson look? 
he and he still sounded ancient. Yeah, though. he looked young, and his voice was exactly I the know. same as it is now. I, and I had yeah. a whole like, who's that guy? He looks kind of like Willie Nelson. And then Willie Nelson started his his oh. voice came out of his mouth. That's so funny because like he was one of the only ones I definitely knew who he was when I saw his face. Mm-hmm. I I still don't know who Kenny Rogers is. Is that what you said? Yeah, is that one of the yeah. Names? He's one of the first ones with a solo bit. He was like the older gray hair, gray hair, gray hair, gray hair and yeah. a white shirt. Yeah, gray hair. Okay, that's Kenny Rogers. Did you did you notice that like apparently 1980s music just really had a thing for raspy voices? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a I lot. I should have been in 1980s music. Oh, superstar. and the raspiest of the raspers was Bruce Springsteen. He was that who that was. Yeah, he's the one who really goes. He his only solo is to say "We Are the World" twice, and he really uh-huh. he really jumps in and rocks it up. He grasps it. I was just right like away. everybody's just frying their voices and then yeah and then when they got to the you know how they referred to the three people doing the bridge as the bridge people yeah that was the so funny people. spoiler alert it takes them a little while to cindy get their Lopper. part done that was cindy lopper who said yeah that. and her speaking voice is so high full cartoon yep i had no idea that's how high and her at one point, her jewelry was too loud, and she had to take that her jewelry off, really which was funny. so cute. So the guy yeah. singing with the two gals is yeah. Huey Lewis of Huey Lewis in the News. That's who Huey Lewis mm-hmm. is? Yep. I saw him perform Wait, once, that, so that's how I know. That white guy? Yeah, that white guy. The second raspiest of the raspers. Yeah. That's okay. Huey. I just don't – I'm not familiar with any yeah. of his music. Yeah. Um, but it was, I'm trying to think of who else I really, really loved. Oh, um, was it, was it Dionne Warwick? Is that who also, was she singing with Willie? Yes. I think that was Dionne Warwick. Yes. Somewhere. I can just, Nancy and Tim are re-screaming all over again. I know. They didn't even recognize the most famous people on the planet. Are, are we allowed to admit that the best person in this whole thing was Michael Jackson? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he was, maybe actually this helps provide some context about like how and why he was such a superstar despite the allegations, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Like he's in a room of all these massively talented people Mm -hmm. and he is far and away the best performer in that room. Yeah. Well, and this is also something He's better organized. He helped write the song and his voice is better than all of theirs. I mean, that's like part of it is he did like he had a vision, right? He was like well, him and Lionel had a vision. So that's part of why he's like more prepared. He actually skipped the AMAs in order to lay down yes. tracks. So he's like yeah. already warmed up. He also has But just, just like I Hey, a, hey. I get it. He has the best voice ever. But yeah. there's also, I watched a documentary of his like last um, concert series he did. And one of the things that some producer was saying about Michael is they were like, he hears everything. Like he's just like a phenom. Like he hears everything yeah. the first time, perfect pitch, perfect everything. He's got And it. it's like, Tone. yeah, he's just like in almost in an inhuman way. Because I don't know if you noticed a lot of his singing, yeah. he doesn't even have the headphones. He's like, I got it. Yes. And they're, they're like going around the circle. It's like 20 insanely famous singers, Mm -hmm. each singing a couple lines at a time. And you're like, okay, like they kind of, their voices are amazing. Mm -hmm. Right. And then they get to Michael Jackson and you're like, he's, 
he's better. He sounds like the finished product mm-hmm. the minute the words come out of his mouth. Like he's got perfect pitch and tone. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's like butter in this like room of otherwise mm-hmm. impressive, but raw voices. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's so good. I wish it weren't so, but it was. Well, so people, these, these artists were there. Um, they, they didn't even start working on the solos until 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was like tons of them there from like, I don't know, midnight to 4 a.m. And then only the soloists left, but that was like 20 people still. And they were, I mean, just all night long. Um, a couple days later is when they actually did the production, like actually putting the recording to, together and had a couple of the artists come back in to do a little more um, recording, including Ray Charles, who they showed transcribing lyrics in Braille, which I thought was a very cool to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Him and... Um- um, him and Stevie Wonder both did that. I thought it was really cute. Yes. They were like sitting in a yes, corner. Yes, they worked together. Writing their so, lines yeah. together. But it was at the post-production thing I watched. I, I had never, I just never seen um, the way that blind people in particular, like before the current technology, how they would transcribe something um, without the like audio technology that we have at our fingertips now. So it was really neat. He was like writing it down using this like braille machine and then feeling it with his fingers while he sang the lyrics. Um, Badass. Very cool. Okay. Do you have other hot takes before we talk specifically about Bob Dylan? Uh, Yeah. So I wanted to tell you about the the what happened in the aftermath. And I was just trying to find more detail, but I I can't. So I'm just going to tell you like what I remember reading um, about. They raised – so the the whole point was – record a song, get an album or get the whole album together and raise money. And then what do we do with them? And raise awareness, I think, but both. Yeah. Yeah. So it ended up generating $75 million for that, like that one album for famine relief and recovery. Um, And then the like first big thing that happened is they, they got like a, a bunch of different planes and they've, they flew to Ethiopia to bring goods and stuff. So the first, the first flight okay. ever, I think was they did like a pit stop in New York to pick up a bunch of t-shirts and they already had grain. So I don't know about the grain silo story, but they got grains in the plane and flew it to Ethiopia and distributed it. And then there, I, I read some article where there was some person who's, he's from Ethiopia. He's now an adult and he, he was a child at the time of all this famine and he said that when when this um when this plane came they they had like some kind of special kind of grain that they made a special sort of bread out of and they all called it michael bread for michael jackson and so like regardless of of all the all the allegations and criticisms and things like he was like it saved our lives the the food and things that came from that particular set of missions I mean, couldn't these rich people have just donated the money for the plane? Like, did they have to make a song that also, like, improved their own brand? Or could they have just sent the food? Well, I think I think that goes back to the awareness part that you just said. Like, the fact... Right. And the fact that it, like, it moved so many people. It put... Right. Like, I do think we all shouldn't just be off the hook to say, if I bought an album, I did I did enough. Right. But it is. And that's my fear. But I, I mean, I, I think it was the first of its kind. Or maybe it wasn't the first of its kind. It was certainly the most it famous was of its kind. After Band Aid. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, Band Aid had happened before. I think the thing that I haven't looked into is the actual data mm-hmm. um, 
and um, sociological research Mm -hmm. behind is it possible that things like this actually do more harm than good Mm. by, for example, making someone feel like they've already done enough because they bought an album Mm -hmm. and they don't know how much of that, the money for that album is going like directly to solve the problem. So they're like, okay, I gave, you know, $10 to buy this album when they could have just given $10 straight to the people of Ethiopia, right? Um, I don't know the research behind that, but there are, I'm immediately suspicious of something that sort of makes us feel better about something that is so devastating and ongoing and is not fixed. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I mean, I don't know that that was the intention behind it. Certainly not. Right. But, and I do think that that's, 35 years ago so I just like you know like I so I guess that's I think at the time that was certainly true and then we all got taught the phrase white savior complex you know what I mean like I don't think anybody's like I I, you know don't need five dollars no like yeah yes and no like I think there are there are people today saying like oh well you know my my ancestors had slaves but they didn't know slavery was bad and you like look back and you're like actually plenty of people at the time knew slavery right. was bad sure and yeah this was like it's probably unfair for me to say nobody and, knew the difference yeah yeah I mean I think I think there were people there were probably people like who'd been who like dedicated their lives to this kind of work mm-hmm. who had an opinion one way or another about like whether this was the most useful, effective, efficient way of helping people, whether it actually in the end helped more people mm-hmm. than it maybe potentially harmed. And I don't, I truly don't know the answer to that. So I'm just offering yeah. some cynicism when the answer might be that it was hugely successful and a really good thing. Well, or, or just that it, it may not have been the most ideal way, but best for best given all circumstances. The best way to actually mobilize the people the that would same otherwise way that not have been mobilized. People also yeah. similarly complain about our federal government because they also like aren't really efficient with the money. Wouldn't it be better if they just gave us more money? Like there's is that same sort of sentiment that like I don't want anybody to just feel like because they're not totally sure if a hundred percent of their proceeds go to this charitable organization, it's probably still better that you gave something. Than to not have well, done and it you at know all. what? This actually goes right back to what the fundamental problem is, which is expecting individual people to be responsible for solving huge problems like this, yes. and making it seem like, oh, the way we're going to solve this is for like each of you to buy an album <laughs> instead of it being like <laughs> we need to revamp our food systems and the distribution of wealth around the globe and our mm-hmm. like ways of distribute of distributing things and where our tax dollars are going to and like yeah. how how we see ourselves as connected to other people or not well here's how you know that it was a good cause and mm-hmm. that it was like great like you don't need to like investigate it. it's because future nobel laureate recipient bob dylan was part of it so like bob if dylan. that doesn't <laughs> if that doesn't seal the deal okay, for so- you i don't know what will Convince me that he wasn't hook a shammed into it, though. Go. Um, I can't. He's a genius. And he's famously extroverted. Oh, actually, his own Nobel laureate thing, which happens in 2016. So, like, not right now. But assuming he's basically the same person in the mid-80s that he becomes in the mid-2015s. Uh, he did not go to his ceremony because he had a previous commitment. Integrity. Yeah. That shows integrity. Yeah. And this is a guy... 
who's not bamboozled by the latest flim but flam maybe fads. This is, maybe <laughs> We Are the World is where Bob Dylan learned to say no to things because he went to that and later was like, I shouldn't have gone to that. I don't know, because at that point in time, he's already gotten a divorce and he's remarried. So that means he learned how to say no to at least one person. <laughs> Thank you. He has kids okay. at this point. Got to say no to kids. So yeah. these are these are wild speculations Those because I wasn't Those expecting you to tell me to challenge me. I just I was just I was absolutely dying like the first part of this documentary where they show Bob Dylan is like kind of early on in the night when the whole chorus is singing mm-hmm. and you don't even realize he's there basically until they all start serenading Harry Belafonte yeah. they like come and me want to go home and they're all like bopping and it's like totally spontaneous and they show Bob Dylan and at first he's got this like big smile on his face he's clearly uncomfortable he's got his head down mm-hmm. he's like he's like trying not to make eye contact with anyone or touch anyone and and then he gets this big smile on his face and then <laughs> it just keeps going on long enough that you see him just back to a full like scowl <laughs> like not singing along he's not business. not connecting he's like he's like how do i get out of this room well but um, like later when you hear him talking with um i love how he calls stevie wonder steve it's like steve can you yeah, play that again for me yeah. he's he really liked steve he just he's he really he's here for steve a business a he's here for a job yeah and and he's so gentle. He's mm-hmm. so gentle and sweet. But I just, I got the sense that he was like, I'm I'm famous, just like Aunt Nancy said, like, I'm famous for my, like, writing and activism, mm-hmm. not for, like, singing a melody as part of, like, a big group pop chorus. Then, <laughs> this is not working for but me. But then Quincy Jones, who's, like, master of this whole thing, who would never lay down a bad track went over to him and was like, no, this is really working for me. Like, I want you to do think, this solo bit, get 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 it in there. You don't think they just wanted him to, like, stop, to just stop? No. Because he was like, he had done a million takes. He wanted he to stop. He kept having to get Stevie to, like, re-show him. No, he wanted to keep going. He was like, I don't think it's very good. He kept saying, um, oh, is that sort of it? That wasn't any good. He was super, super off key. He's obviously a perfectionist. Well, listen up. But he's like, he's not singing. He's like saying words and kind of trying to have a melody to listen, it. And I no, think Quincy Jones was basically like, it's not going to get any better. Just stop. We're, yeah. we're going to use that at the end. And I think they were like, this is great. <laughs> we like, we like the, um, the aesthetic. We like, like that the it's different. Effect. Yeah, it's like working for yeah. them. But here's here's something that I found. <laughs> so okay. I love this quote. I'm going to read it to you in full. This really helped me have a different appreciation of Bob Dylan's voice. It comes from... Is it from Uncle Tim again? No, it's from Tim Grierson, oh. who contributed Another Tim. to InsideHook.com. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. That's okay. where I found this. No. And he says... In, I'd go so far as to, this is a quote, by the way, open quote. I'd go so far as to say that I think Dylan's voice is rather beautiful. No one will confuse him with the far more powerful and polished singers whose voices seem to have been touched by the divine. Dylan's is utilitarian by comparison, but over the years, he's done a lot with not much, finding new ways to be expressive, evocative, (laughs) downright gorgeous within the narrow vocal range the musical gods gave him. (laughs) Other singers sound like they came straight from heaven, Michael Jackson, 
Bob Dylan is the master of the colloquial and the conversational. He sings the way you and I do. End quote. I don't, I think we might sing better. Well, but yeah, obviously Tim Grierson <laughs> doesn't have a great voice. But I love, I love that because what, and then that just made me remember his like solo bit and having to go through it. He's, yeah, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. He has some, like, he had like a thing in his mind that he was like, I want my voice to do it this way. And it, so the perfectionism part, like it didn't really matter that everybody else was like, it's fine. You're just kind of like regular voice. But he was like, I know I'm going to take my one and a half octave voice though and make it do something interesting. And I'm going to keep working on it yeah. until it like gives us what we need. Yeah. So I And everybody it. was just so incredibly supportive. And you're right. Like they're, they were basically like, no, Bob, we're not trying to make you sound like, um, like Stevie. Mm-hmm. Like Steve. We, Steve. we want you to... S- Sorry, Steve. Yeah, Yeah, he prefers that. (laughs) We want you to sound like you. And also, by the way, half of those dudes with the raspy-ass voices, like, okay, they had more range and better pitch, but, like, their voices were also not that pretty, some of them. Can I say something? I had a hard time um, with that one moment where, like, while Bob was doing his little thing, I was like, is he attractive? It had, like, a moment where I was like, is he he good-looking? It confused me, though. Oh, uh, I can answer that for you. He was not in that moment. He is in other moments, but he wasn't right then. Yeah, I don't know. I was like, interesting. So he's working on me. That's all I'm saying. He was doing like, okay, so you like side eye, hands in pockets, um, (laughs) like (laughs) repeatedly turning your back to the microphone during your solo so that people have to be like, no, no, sing it into the microphone, Bob. Yeah. I think I do. You liked that. I don't know what was happening, but I was just like, interesting. I've never really found him attractive. And I'm, maybe it's endearing. Maybe it's more endearing. It was endearing. I did find it very endearing. And again, it brings us full circle all the way back to our initial comment about Bob Dylan and We Are the World. His behavior gives us all permission to just be as awkward as we need to be. May we all be Bob Dylan at the We Are the World group. Social anxiety be damned. Show up anyway. Put your hands in your pockets. You don't have to smile. It can be full side eye. You can speak, sing, and people will believe that it is beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Rather beautiful the end so good you know it was good that was definitely an hour well spent and i would watch that again not just for jane fonda that was really good yeah so and i would talk about it again with you even so so thank you Um, but i think that's a yeah that's about all the time we have for this hot top we're gonna do a little outro gimmick um it's another f chuck or mary dilemma for you this time with three different bobs f chuck or mary bob dylan Bob Saget, mm. Bob Ross. Okay. Well, it's a tough since I, I almost put Bob Dole on there and then I was like too hard. Well, I mean, so here's here's my here's the thing I'm struggling with. Bob Saget is not alive. So is it his ghost <laughs> or Bob Ross is not alive either. Oh, okay. Yeah. So <laughs> are they ghosts or which which version of them am I evaluating? You can pick any version okay. of them and then make your case for why okay. you've selected Okay. Well, I mean, so if, if you're like my mom or a small child, probably don't listen to this. But what I think is I would, I would, I would chuck Bob Ross. I I know I would marry. Controversial. I would marry Bob Dylan. 
Yeah. And I would F Bob Saget because I think he would be a good dirty talker. Yeah. Maybe even his ghost. I'm just saying that. I would chuck him because I think he's a misogynist and probably not good in bed for that reason. Bob Saget, that is. I don't know. I don't know him that well. Yeah. Is he a misogynist? I would F Bob Dylan. Yeah, I think so, but I don't know for sure. Okay, you're just putting that out there. You have no idea. Yeah. Probably they all are. Chuck Bob Saget, F Bob Dylan, because like that would be cool to connect with him. Like you said, like you'd have a moment of being like, we really connect with each other and this is Mm -hmm. fun. And then like an hour later, he'd be like, never speak to me again. So that's not who you marry, but that's who you married. I would marry Bob Ross. Well, I want that. I want the happy little clouds. I want the happy little clouds. I don't need, I don't need my clouds to always be happy. Not in my house. He could do sad things. He did dark painting sometimes. Yeah. I don't think I know Bob Ross that well. I just assumed okay, it was all going to okay. be happy accidents everywhere. Plus, like, On if I wanted the to next paint episode. something, like, he's Bob Ross. So it's just better. At he's going to teach you. At least I'm, like, he's singing gonna teach to you. my tunes with my husband, no, Bob Dylan, and I know my voice sounds better. So, like, there it that's is. That's a good Smudge. point. Yeah. He's not going to sing with you, though. He wants to be alone for that. I, I, Our next episode of Schmodcast, the podcast, is just we're both going to have to watch the documentary about Bob Ross. And, come and find that. out if Bob Saget was a misogynist. Uh, oh, yeah. Because he, Un- he was really best friends with Uncle Jesse. Claims. So I'm not, now I'm like questioning whether or not Uncle Jesse's a good person. There's a lot of, lot of unsubstantiated claims. I think what, you know the reason I think so? I heard Bob Saget was like a real dick to all the kids on the set of full house like he was like mean to the women and like rude and inappropriate around the children in this very toxic masculinity oh, way i so the version of that that i heard was just that he he's like a he was like a george carlin type of comedian but playing like america's yes, dad which is like yeah so uncomfortable yeah which yeah. Could be funny, also. So okay, we're gonna watch all. I would have. I would. Yeah, I would have liked to know him on the set of America's Funniest Home <laughs> Videos. I think was the right place for, to know Bob, Bob Saget. Okay, people. Here's hoping for many more glimmers this week. No triggers, just glimmers. Just glimmers. Let us know if you have a new hot top suggestion. Connect and correct us, people. Um, you know how to do it. Call, text, or email us. Or email schmodcastthepodcast at gmail.com and find Schmodcast the Podcast on Instagram. You're the best. Beep up, beep boop boop. Boop pop pop, beep boop pop pop. This has been a Rebetchel production. Proud sponsors of Rebetchel B Day Extravaganza. Doing.